Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One of the most fundamental pieces of homebrewing is developing a recipe. It's just a part of making an all-grain batch. Even if you have a kit, there's a recipe involved. So this week, we're talking to Brad Segal. He's the head development brewer over at Northern Brewer, and we're going to talk about his approach to creating great recipes this week on Homebrewing DIY. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Galvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now hey there homebrewing diy listeners i'd like to talk to you about one of our finest sponsors and one of my favorite tools in my homebrew kit, and that's my hydrometer. The reason is, is that accuracy is so important, and I always take a boil, a pre-boil, actually a pre-boil reading, and then I also take a OG, original gravity and a final gravity reading, and I always do so on my Brewing America hydrometer. I had no idea how great of a tool it was until I had a high-quality hydrometer. I've gone through many. I've broken many. And then I found this tool that is of the most superb quality. And so if you head on over to homebrewingdiy.beer, use our sponsor banner, and you can get 15% off of your next Brewing America hydrometer. These are American-made, hand-blown here in the United States, and guaranteed to be perfectly calibrated when you receive it. So head on over to brewingamerica.com. Tell them that Homebrewing DIY sent you, or just use our banner. Either way, it'll let them know that we sent you. Welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing. Gadgets, contraptions, and parts, this show covers it all. 
On this week's show, we're talking to Brad Segal. He's the head development brewer over at Northern Brewer, and we're going to discuss with him what he does when he approaches formulating formulating brand new beer recipes. It's a great conversation, and I highly recommend you stick around and listen to the interview. But first, I'd like to thank all of our patrons over at Patreon. It's because of you that this show can come to you week after week. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY. Very, very easy to donate and to support the show. And I want to thank all of our supporters. It's because of you. It really, you make this easy. And sorry about this coming out a little late in the week. I actually had this interview done, was just going to throw it together on my vacation. I even brought a microphone with me. But I had a issue while I was on my trip where I couldn't get my microphone to work. And so, therefore, I was lacking some power. And so I'm now back from vacation and knocking this out on a Sunday night. So it'll be a few days late. So I apologize for that. But it is coming out this week. We will have a fresh new episode as well this coming Thursday. And very, very excited for you to hear that one as well. Another way to support the show is to head on over to Coffee. That's ko-fi.com forward slash homebrewing DIY. There you can do one-time support. And another way to support the show is head on over to homebrewingdiy.beer and use our sponsor banners. Brewing America, uh, all kinds of other things like Brewfather and all of our supporters, supporting sponsors. You click on those links and it lets them know that we sent you. Also, if you use Brewing America's link, just... Put in a coupon code for 15% off, and they will give you a 15% discount from Homebrewing DIY. So very, very excited about being able to do that. Not too much going on in my homebrew. Obviously, I was on vacation last week. I've got a batch of beer that I brewed when I was doing the Pop Culture Brews podcast, which we're going to record later this month, and I'm going to go over with Andrew and taste his beer. So very excited to taste the beer that we made inspired by The Room. So keep an eye out for that episode. And I also today whipped up a batch of kimchi that I'm going to ferment. It's actually out on the counter right now getting ready. I love fermented foods. Maybe I should do a show on fermented foods. I'd love to hear some feedback if that's something you would want to hear as a podcast topic. Well, let's just jump into this week's episode where we're going to talk to Brad Segal about recipe formulation. I'd like to welcome Brad Segal. Not to be... Uh, com- not to be... Not to be confused with Steven Seagal, because he's, you know, not cool. And, <laughs> and uh, Brad is the head developmental brewer over at Northern Brewer. Welcome, Brad, to Homebrewing DIY. Hey, Coulter. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, I asked you to be on the show. And I, just if you're listening to this podcast right now, just so you know, Brad has actually recorded an entire episode with me. We had some audio issues. And... I had to call him back onto the show. We're actually doing a re-record of our original interview. And thank you once again so much for doing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Wouldn't miss it. I, awesome. Well, now what we're going to talk about, and you are sounding so much better, we're going we to dive into recipe development. And since you are kind of the developmental brewer and you've come up with some of the 
recipes that I think that if, if you're a home brewer at some point, I, I would say for a majority of home brewers out there, I'm not gonna say every home brewer at some point you've made a, uh, some, somebody's made a Northern brewer kit in your orbit or you have yourself. I know I have personally. And so some of those recipes were developed by you and your team. I'd love to talk about just, you know, the approach to, to recipe development and, and all of the kind of, if you're, what that approach looks like. So to get started, I'd love to hear a bit of background on how you got into homebrewing, how you ended up at Northern Brewer, and then let's dive into recipe development. So how'd you start homebrewing? Well, uh, that's a pretty good story, actually. It was back in, I believe, 2007. I, one of my buddies had moved to Colorado, and he moved to Denver, and uh, he had stored some stuff in the garage of the house I was living in. And as it turns out, one of those items that was in the garage was an old Mr. Beer kit, how so many of us do start. And oh, I had the noticed that the, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I had noticed that the yeast was expired. So I went at a wild goose chase to find a new pack of yeast. And I discovered that Northern Brewer was pretty much right down the street for me. And so never actually made the Mr. Beer kit. Instead, uh, Got the whole five-gallon starter kit and dove dove head in. Did a few extract kits, and uh, the rest is history. And you kind of turned that hobby, obviously, into a career. Well, why don't you tell me a bit about that journey and how you kind of ended up working at Northern Brewer? Well, it's a, a bit serendipitous in and of itself. After the first two batches, I believe, I did, I just went back into the, the homebrew shop and I just said, hey, are you looking for any part-time help? Um, you know, I was I was already employed at the time, but the the allure of home brewing, it really got to me. And so I, I asked to perhaps come in, work a few shifts here and there. And before I knew it, I just started coming in every day and nobody really said anything. And <laughs> so that became my job. And that was uh, that was 2008. That's awesome. Uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, you're, we got to pay this guy to do this? <laughs> yeah, I was like, really? They're paying me to do this? <laughs> That's awesome. And, and you turned it into a career. Obviously, you probably worked the front of the shop for a long time. And, and oh, do yeah. you still currently work the front of the shop? Or what are you doing day to day right now? Well, day to day, I am ex- uh, actually in our... Our, our headquarters, which is our, our shipping warehouse and offices. So I am no longer in the retail setting. So I, I am in the headquarters and my, I have a desk, but my area is basically like a geek brew lab where I have every single piece of equipment we could ever want. You know, uh, when we come up with new, new products, I get to test them out. And uh, so it's, I, I kind of work in a brewing wonderland. Well, uh, aren't you the luckiest guy in homebrewing right now? <laughs> oh, man. I, it's, I can't believe this happened, and I, I will never take it back for anything. It's awesome. That is awesome. Well, I'd love to talk to you about recipe development, and let, let's look at this through the beginner's eyes, right? Uh, obviously, to me and to you, 
hey, I'm going to make this style of beer. Let's just whip up some brewing software or just jot down some notes of what I'm going to throw in there. I think that after years of homebrewing, you get to a place where recipe development just becomes kind of second nature. But if you're just starting out and you start to see a list of ingredients, you you don't really see a lot of the the themes that that a lot of recipes have right and so let, let's talk let, let's start with a very simple beer let, let's think something like maybe a kolsch or uh something that doesn't have a lot to it or maybe a simple pale ale i think a simple pale ale is always a great one sure. what would you say is the best way to you know when, when thinking of recipe development i'm going to make my own recipe of a of a simple pale ale what 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 kind of approaches could you talk about? Not necessarily like, yeah, you could give me a list of ingredients, but what kind of approaches would you talk to me more about like in a in a theoretical way, right? Like sure. what are you trying to achieve and and how is the simplest way to get there? Sure. Well, it's something like a pale ale, you know, it, it's something like a Sierra Nevada, for example. You know, you're gonna get a a nice clean malt base with a little bit of caramel kind of nuances to it and a clean fermentation profile so if you don't taste a whole lot of fruity esters in a commercial beer you'd like to sort of emulate like a like a pale ale um it's it's you know base malt or or gold malt extract or something simple and a little bit of carbol malt it, it it's in this may sound a little cliche but sometimes you just got to know the ingredients and know the flavors of what these ingredients bring and uh, that does come with experience, but uh, when you are starting out, it is just so much easier to keep things simple. You know, don't try to combine too many ingredients because that way, when you have a beer that you've brewed, and if you've thrown, you know, six malts in there and five different varieties of hops, you're never going to know what ingredient is providing what flavor. And so I, I really like to keep things simple. So for like an American pale ale, you know, some sort of American base malt, whether it be two row or malt extract. And then, you know, you look at, you look at a commercial example and it's got a nice kind of deep golden to slightly reddish hue to it. And that's going to be from caramel malt. And you just kind of experiment, put a little bit of caramel malt in there in your base malt, ferment it with a, a clean, clean yeast, something like American ale, Chico strain, and, uh, start with a one hop variety. You know, for example, Cascade. And that way, when you have your final beer, you can actually taste it and you can pick out those individual flavors. Like, oh, I've got this really nice, clean malt base. And then here's a little bit of caramel type flavor to it with a beautiful orange hue and then slightly fruity hops. And yeah, that's my entire kind of mantra is, you know, the old adage of keep it simple, stupid. The old uh, kiss principle, as it were. Yeah, I, I think that that's the, be, the best approach. I mean, essentially what you're talking about there, as far as a malt bill goes, right, is essentially two ingredients on the malt bill and then one ingredient on the hops. And if something goes wrong, it's very, very easy to analyze what went wrong, right? Correct. I, I think the best advice given to me by my local homebrew shop, when I first went all grain and I wanted to make my first recipe, I was like, hey, I want to go all grain I don't know where to start. And the, the, the guy at the, at the front desk, really great guy comes up to me and he says, you know what, just do a smash beer because doing a smash beer lets you do an all grain beer. It won't taste 
bad, right? He's like, it won't, it won't taste bad. And you, you've got no variables. Here's some base malt. Here's one hop go nuts. Right. And what, what, what's your thoughts on, on, you know, if you're going to start off on building your first recipe, what, what do you think about smash beers? I think that is sage advice from that homebrew employee or the, the, the shop owner. Um, it's that way, the fewer variables you have, the much easier it is to pick out what has either gone wrong or maybe you don't like this particular hop or, you know, something of that nature. Start simple. That way it's really probably the best way to start gaining knowledge and insight into what specific ingredients taste like and how they interact together. So I love the idea of a smash beer. Always yeah. a good idea. Yeah, my my I would say my first three or four all grain batches were different varieties of smash beer, and they were for me to kind of get the idea of the different base malts. Uh, I didn't really go at it thinking hops were a second thing for me, and I made I I would say until I was on my sixth all grain batch. That was the first time I had a beer, and it was a smash beer. And I drank it, and I was like, wow, this is actually a good beer. I could see myself drinking this, right? Oh, yeah. And it was, but it was that trial and error. It was the, and, and it was really just getting my, my fermentation process down and getting all of that kind of dialed. And then recipe formulation kind of came second, right? And as we get more complex, what, what would you say are some good resources to go to when you're getting more complex and want to re- and do some more formulation of your own recipes style wise, what, what would be some good resources you would go to? Sure. Just gathering some ideas, like what, what other people have been brewing. You can look at the, the homebrewers association. You can look at John Palmer, Jamil Zane, chef's book, how to brew. That's been a great resource for me over the years. Uh, the uh, BJCP or the beer judge certification program. If you look at those guidelines, it will tell you, you know, um, like the common ingredients used in that beer. It'll, it'll, it'll give you the guidelines, like how strong it should be, what your gravity should be, what your IBU should be. And if you kind of take all those resources and aggregate them together, you, you can start to form this picture of exactly what goes in, say, a pale ale versus an IPA or a porter versus a stout, and you can start to learn those nuances and just really build off of that. I'd say the more you read, the more you look at the resources available all over the internet, you're going to start to form this idea of where to go, what direction to start heading in, and that's when you start to experiment and iterate. Yeah, and and one thing that I, I like... And I love that you you started off saying, "Hey, kiss, keep it simple, stupid." What, what what kind of like for example? And I know you don't work on the retail side, but I know you did at some point, right? I sure did. And and you would see homebrewers come in with like these recipes, and they'd be like, "I need to make this thing," and they would have like little itty bitty amounts, like that probably are negligible. Period. Right. One ounce of biscuit it, malt, or yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly that, right? Which, if you're doing a one-gallon batch, probably does well, something. But it, yeah, but if you're doing a five-gallon batch, it's probably not doing much at all, right? Right. <laughs> and so, what what would you? And I see that all the time. I'll, I'll see recipes that are kind of shared with me, and they'll be like, "Hey, I'm thinking about making this beer," and I will see recipes that are maybe trying to do a clone, and they're trying to scale it down from like a huge 
uh, batch or something like that. And you end up with these recipes that have really, I would say, like a base malt and then they have like 15 different specialty malts in them or something like that. Right. And, (laughs) and, and, and to me, it's like that type of a recipe ends up becoming over complex. And I think you said it earlier where you're like, Hey, if there's something that goes wrong, it's hard to figure out what went wrong. Would you say that when you are making a beer and you do keep it more of a, a simple malt bill, do you feel that, you can still achieve your same goals. Like let's say you're trying to hit it. Another, another way I would say it is you see it in like brewing software. Hey, I have to get to this exact IBU. I have to get to this exact SRM because they're trying to fall within some certain style guidelines. Sure. I, I personally feel don't get super caught up in that and try to get as close as you can. And, but not, it doesn't have to be perfect. What would you agree with that same kind of statement? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, don't, don't oftentimes, well, most of the time commercial recipes don't scale down quite that well. And I I like to start simple because you can always brew another batch and add something because then you can taste what that next ingredient might add, but you can never take anything out of a beer if you don't know what it tastes like because there's so many other grains in there. Ah, that's a great way of putting it. Way better than my long-winded way of putting it. Yeah, start start <laughs> start simple and build up from there, and then eventually, yeah, start- yeah, and and absolutely don't get too caught up in you know SRM and IBU and you know your bitterness to your or your gravity to bitterness ratio or other way around. Uh, don't get too caught up in that. Brew a beer, try it. If you like it, if you want to add, maybe you know make it a little bit darker change up your malts a little bit next time you know just keep going and change one thing at a time and don't get too caught up in the style guidelines if it's a beer you like who cares who cares if it makes any sort of certain style yeah and and if we're even in competition beers i one of my favorite pieces of advice in competition beers is submit the beer that's in the glass don't submit the beer you intended it to be right that is exactly correct you know, it's like, taste the beer. Hey, I, you know, I was going for a stout, but for some reason it came out to be 5%, and this is a great porter. So submit it as a porter. That's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what so. does it taste like? You know, look at those style guidelines and just try to match up. Like, don't don't force it. You know, don't think you're brewing a stout. I mean, yes, you can think you're brewing a stout, but if it doesn't quite taste like a stout, maybe it's a little bit sweeter. Maybe it's got a little bit less body or vice versa, whatever. Uh, enter it into a competition how it tastes not what it's intended to be yeah and i've made that mistake over the years right hey oh, i was trying have. to make yeah i was trying to make this beer it didn't come out perfect and and as we all know when we're doing competition beers that's when you're like all right every little detail matters right i'm submitting this yeah. to a competition and i'm going to put oxygen in it and i'm going to do this beer perfectly and you get through the whole process and then even because it's you know beer is a processed beverage it doesn't always even with the best intention doesn't always turn out exactly the way you imagine it to and so sometimes like what the hell did i just make here this is delicious but it's not what i was intending exactly and and i did that once and ended up winning a gold medal so it's because i submitted what was in the glass and yep. that's and, the way to do it. 
and God knows I got w- many scathing score sheets out over the years for submitting <laughs> something that wasn't in the glass, right? So, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, we're not. You're not alone there. I've got a stack some somewhere, and yeah, I've gotten some pretty bad scores over the years. <laughs> <laughs> That's all part of the process, man. It's all it part is. Of the it process. is, and <laughs> just can't get discouraged. That's the biggest thing to take away from that. Exactly. And and all, the best way to put it is, you know, you don't make great beer without making a few bad beers in the, on the, along the way. And it's inevitable. You have, it's inevitable. And in the end, they're all beer and they're all safe to drink because it's beer. And you could just pretty much, uh, you know, go nuts with it. And I... I, I will admit I have uh, I have had a few that I've had to dump out, but it's it's I, I've made way more beers that I've haven't had to dump out, right? So it's all part of the process. It sure is. It sure is. Like I, I, I I've dumped probably at least a hundred gallons over the years. Something didn't go right. Yeah, you know, it just wow. This is a, a flawed thought process. I should never put these ingredients together. <laughs> you know, I, I've dumped beer. We, yeah, it's just a part of, it's just a part of brewing. I've done some hop combos and I have this, uh, I've been trying to brew a British style golden ale for years and have never nailed it. And every time it's, it, it's come out to be bad. And so, and, and, and it's not that I'm, I'm putting in the wrong ingredients. I, it's just like every time I make that beer, I have something go wrong with the fermentation and I get some crazy weird off flavor. So it's kind of one of those. <laughs> it's kind of one of those things where it's like that's my Achilles heel. Let let's uh let's talk a bit about in this since we are talking about recipe formulation. Let let's talk about some good tips and tricks for things like, you know, one one of my favorite tricks for great recipe formulation where you still keep things simple, but you want to add complexity. So let, let's say we're doing a, a a very very simple beer. I, I love to use Kolsch as an example because Kolsch mm-hmm. tends to have very few ingredients, right? It, it's mainly Correct. base malt. Usually has a single hop. It could be uh, Kolsch's make. Gr- there are smash beers that make great Kolsch's. You know, obviously you're going to use Kolsch yeast. But one thing that I love to do when trying to add complexity to a beer is I love blending base malts. And could you give me some examples of some beers that you've made where you've taken some base malts and have blended them together to really good results? And what are some of those combinations? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I really, really love, in, especially in IPAs, like I, oftentimes as a baseline, I'll brew an IPA with, say, just standard two-row American malt. And the the hops just really can overtake and you don't really get a whole lot of malt body. So one great combination is, you know, take 50, 50, two row and mix that with uh Maris Otter or golden promise, or maybe 20% uh, Vienna malt, 10% Munich malt, something like that. It just gives it a little bit, a little bit more of the, the gusto on, on the malt side. It, it's not so, one-dimensional it's not a one-trick pony anymore it's got some malt characters that actually stand up to the hops so blending base malt is always wonderful love it and it, it works in pretty much any style yeah yeah even I, especially yeah even Kolsch. for me it's uh when i do a lot of uh german style lagers i tend to always blend base malts right uh example would be i i i have a munich hellas recipe that i love and it's obviously Pilsner, but then I also have, you know, uh, and it's got some Munich in it, but I love to throw a little Vienna in there, right? And Vienna's probably because Vienna's, 
yeah, Vienna is probably one of my favorite malts ever in the world. And Absolutely. If I if I ever can find an excuse to put Vienna in something, I just do. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so it's so good and and but you it's funny how people think oh it's just baseball no Vienna is not just baseball guys <laughs> this is special stuff it's special stuff and it it but it does it adds a different kind of character and it, but but you know it, it it's something where I put it I've put it in American beers I put it in German style beers and it's just one of my favorite go to malts and probably because Vienna Lager is probably one of my favorite lagers as well. But Did you re- it read is some, my mind right yeah. there? Oh, is that, are, yeah, are we on Vienna the same Lager. page here? I love Vienna I Lager so. too. I think so. Yeah. And but but to me it's it's something where that malt is if I can if I can throw it in there it's kind of my secret ingredient and it's not so secret anymore. But for me, the the blending of base malts is such a good way to add complexity, but it still keeps your beer beer simple, right? So example would be a 50-50 base malt split, a 25%. You don't have to necessarily get into it being like, oh, hey, I'm going to add three ounces of this base malt in here. It can be a significant amount of that grist, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Vienna is not uh, aggressive enough that it would really overtake overtake the flavor of any beer, say pale ale, IPA. Uh, you know, it works wonderfully in porters and stouts and darker beers like that. So, yeah, don't don't just go pinching a little, you know, few kernels into your grain bill. Go ahead and put 10, 20 percent in there and see how you like it, because I I really think you will. Yeah. It's, 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 it's delicious. Um, and I, and, and Munich is also another base malt that I love to add to some of my base malt combinations. And the cool thing about Munich is you can get it in some different shades, right? And so sometimes where you're maybe going for that kind of redder color, but you don't want to have that caramel flavor, maybe the darker Munich could be a good addition to that, right? Yeah, like Weirman Dark Munich. I think it yep. comes in off the top of my head. I want to say it's almost twenty love. Yeah, uh, that'll give you some great color without getting those the, the caramel nuances to it. So it's still a clean malt base, but it's got the color and it's got that almost slightly toasty bread character to it as well. Yeah. Um, what What are some other great tips when it comes to hop combinations when you're doing recipe formulations? What would you say are some of your do's and don'ts there? I'd say don't mix noble and new age American hops. That gets really weird real quick. So say Fuggle and Citra, uh, it's going to be like a fruit salad that was rubbed in the dirt. Uh, So (laughs) stay away from things like that. Um, uh, Otherwise, you you know, keep like hops together. Oftentimes, if you're doing something, a recipe that calls for um, noble type hops, like Spalter, Hallertau, those things play together really well because you can get the floral character, a little bit of spicy, a little bit of earthiness. And uh, likewise, if you flip the other side of the ocean, uh, American hop varieties, say something like Mosaic and Centennial do really well together. I also really like to do fruity and piney American hops. So Columbus or Chinook mixed with Centennial or you know Mosaic or something like that. It just kind of gives us awesome balance of kind of resiny pine dank and and fruity and tropical. Those play really really well together. Uh, gin, you just made gin. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> What's, nothing wrong with gin. 
<laughs> nothing wrong with gin. I, but that, that I'm just saying that's where if you're if you're thinking in your head, hey, where have you seen that before? Uh, citrus and in in pine and gin are mm-hmm. a very very common combination, and you're just essentially doing that same thing with hops, right? It doesn't seem awfully intuitive, but man, let me tell you, it works out. That's yeah. that classic yeah. West Coast IPA thing. It's it's got it's got the pine, it's got the resin, it's got the fruity citrus. It just it works great. It does. And then obviously we're now in a world of like the hazy IPA. And I, I think that they tend to feature hop combinations a lot now, but mm-hmm. a lot of those tend to be those kind of juicy hop combinations, right? Correct. And are yeah. there any kind of out of the, you know, obviously we all know the the classic is like, you know, Citra, uh, if you, if you took Citra and Mosaic and uh, probably Amarillo and threw those together, you all we all know those are going to be a really good hop combo. Yeah, what, what are some kind of yeah? What are some out of, out of the box kind of hop combos in that juicy realm where people may not think that that's kind of going to work, but it does. Well, sometimes I don't think people understand how fruity and like citrusy Columbus can be. It often gets this bad rap as being kind of catty and diesely. But done with other hops that can accentuate that 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 fruit character, Columbus plays really well. And also, one hop that I've really been uh, really been in love with lately is Zappa. It's not exactly easy to find, but it's kind of a hop that has all of those characters in it together. And uh, Zappa and Idaho Seven. It may sound weird, but those go really well together in a New England IPA. It's uh, it's a pretty crazy flavor. <laughs> it's hard to describe, really. It's fruity. It's yeah. a little bit minty. It's a little bit, a little bit resinous. But yeah, the like, it's fruity. And Columbus is one of those that, when I discovered that, it kind of, kind of took me aback for a second. Yeah, and Columbus is a very easy hop to find as well, and, and yes. a lot easier on the pocketbook when you think about some of these juicy hops that you know. Right. Uh, I, my neighbor across the street just spent fifty bucks on a on a um, what were the? It's not cryo hops, but it's uh, the other. Uh, come on, come to me. Oh man, it's uh, uh, there. It's it's kind of like cryo hops, but it was Citra. Uh, I can't. But he, I can't you know, think of it at the moment either. Yeah, it's I can't on the tip of, of my he, tongue. Yeah, me too. He's got, but he 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 bought a pound of it. And it was like fifty bucks for a pound, right? Ooh. And of course, you know, he's making hazy IPAs and blowing through it, right? Because you're also talking about the amount of hops that go into one of those is just off the charts, right? In comparison to the yeah. the old days of remember when you know you were like, I put three ounces of hops in here, and they were all at sixty minutes, and this thing was like a hundred IBUs, and now you we're did like, what? <gasps> yeah, I, I know, and everybody was like, <gasps> and now we're at, uh, uh, oh, I you know I put a half a pound of hops in this, and it was all dry hopped. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> come, and, come uh, a long way. Yeah, and and we're talking five gallon batches, right? And if you if right. you scale that up to the to the like major brewery level, we're talking about huge hop contracts here, and so yeah. it's uh it's something where the amount of hops that are going into beers now is just on a completely different level. Nobody ever would have thought this like even ten years ago. No, no, it's just insane. And the crazy part is, is they're putting that many hops in there, and the IBUs are still just you know they're not. You're, you're, they're not hundred plus IBU beers. We're talking like you're you know, drinking maybe an I- forty. 
an IPA with 20, yeah, 20 to 40. It's in like yeah. pale ale, pale ale range, but the, just the hop, the hop character, the flavors, the aromas is that's what gets you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, that's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very cool. Uh, I think it's a cool style, but then, you know, obviously I'm a humbering show and I'm always like, Hey, what's the next big thing? Because I'm now to where that IPA is the common, right? And so what is the next big thing? And what would you say, you know, obviously you're, you're in the, the brewing development world and, and I'm not telling you to pick out the next big thing, but what, what kind of styles are kind of standing out to you right now that you, you think are, are, are up and coming styles that we might see here over the next year or so? Well, uh, this one has been around for a while. I just don't really think it's made the, the mainstream a whole lot, but I've been uh, very captivated by the Italian style Pilsner as of late. And uh, I do plan to do quite a bit of those and release a kit. I have no idea when it's coming out, but it will be coming out at some point. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a pills nerd myself. So that one, that one really makes me happy. Dry hot Pilsner. Love it. And I think that'll yeah, great. be the big thing. Or Loggers in general, I'd love to see loggers make a huge resurgence, whether it, resurgence, whether it be Oktoberfest, Bach, Vienna, Schwarzbier. I, I think craft loggers is where things might be going. Yeah. I, I'm seeing that locally here in Denver, right? There's obviously breweries like Beerstad with their lo- slow port pills, and it's a very sought-after beer. Right. And it's kind of funny how it all came around. Right. We started with these like, you know, pale, crappy, big, big beer lagers. Right. And craft is now coming back. I feel like craft right now is coming back to lager and really just letting it be what it is for me. It's a long, slow, full circle. Oh, it is a long, full circle. But on the other side of that, these Pilsners are so good right now. Right. Like they're not the, 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 the great ones are great and, and they're, they have flavor and they have, uh, I, the best way I, I like to s- describe the, the modern Pilsner right now is that it's all process, right? It's, it is. it's, it's a hundred percent process beer. And if you've got a really great process at a, at a, at a small brewery level, you can make amazing, amazing lagers. And, and, and I think that a lot of the, the beers that we've that have got us here, right, are those great brewers that were that were all those process driven breweries are starting to finally kind of get the, the 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 kudos they're due because they're you, you know you you can't have a mediocre brewer hiding behind a a, 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 a ton of uh, IBUs or a ton of juicy hops, right? Um, yeah, you can you can hide a lot of flaws in beers that have that much flavor profile, but in something like a pilsner, like you got nowhere to hide. Those ingredients are nowhere. pretty cut and dry. You got pilsner malt, and you got some Hallertau or Spalt Tetning. And uh, if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't get your pitch rates right, if you don't get your pH right, if you don't get your temperatures right, the timing right, it's not going to be what it should. So I think a great pilsner is a mark of a very very good brewer. Yeah, and and just uh. For an FYI, we actually just dropped an entire article on homebrewing DIY dedicated to oh, the Italian yeah, I, Pilsner just this week. It's and, a great article. I read it. Uh, oh, you did <coughs> read it a great. few times. I, it, yeah, it's a good one. And uh, and and we've 
it, it's one of those things where I've seen a few Italian Pilsner examples locally that are, are just stellar beers. And, uh, um, I'm excited to, and I've got some guys in my homebrew club that are making some and I'm excited to try them. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that, uh, Italia Pilsner is definitely, at least if we're going to talk about the beer of this summer for me, it's definitely going to be that beer. Um, I also, and this is, uh, uh, maybe when we could talk a bit about process is, uh, I'm starting to see a bit of a resurgence in ice beers. Have you, have you seen a bit of that at all? I have, I have, um, there's been a few breweries here in the in the Twin Cities. I've seen them do some ice beers. In fact, uh, a coworker and myself, we fully intended to ice a Maybach when we had a nasty cold spell here in Minneapolis. And as soon as it was done fermenting, it got into the 30s. So that got shot right out the window, <laughs> unfortunately. But yeah, yeah it's, and, and- it's, it's a lost style almost. It's a lost technique. Yeah, it is. And, and well, you know, we had beers like, you know, Ice House and Bud Ice and all, you know, uh, Big Beer took it on for a minute and I think kind of, uh, you know, gave it a bad name. But to me, yeah, that's the a, that ice was a beer, marketing gimmick, <laughs> totally marketing gimmick. But to me, the, 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 the actual true style of an ice beer is something where you can get into things like Imperial Pilsners, right? You, you can really take a great beer. You can bump up the alcohol because you're ice distilling it and really just kind of... It, once again, make a process-driven beer, but still kind of get this kind of, uh, you know, bump up the ABV and still have it be a crisp, clean, finishing beer. And so Absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Um, I've, I've, I've got a friend who works at a brewery that's about to release an entire line of uh, ice beers, and I'm very excited to try those. So, Ooh, um, I should fly out to Denver. <laughs> Uh, wait, we'll, we'll keep in touch. I might, I, I might be able to send you some. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. Well, I'm overdue to get out there anyhow. <laughs> well, if you ever come to Denver, we are definitely hanging out. Uh, awesome. but yeah, so my, you know, let, let's, let's recap. So let's talk about, uh, some, some approaches to good recipe formulation. Uh, first of all, you know, keep it simple, simple grain bills are always going to be better. I, I love the advice where you talk about dive into the style guidelines and talk about how things should taste and, and, and the feel. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that's a, a great piece of advice because people always say, Hey, find this book full of recipes, right? Yeah. You can start there. But I also think that if you compare that with the style guidelines, there you go. You've got the, the blend of the two sides of it, right? Exactly. It's like, hey, gotta... Here's the list of ingredients, but also here's how it's supposed to taste on the other side, right? Yeah, don't don't take all your stuff from one source, you know, just do, do some research. You know, you don't have to dive in too deep, but look at the guidelines, you know, read a few books, look at different recipes, and eventually it'll coalesce in your mind, and you, you can start getting a better idea of what goes into what beer, and then you start simple and add from there. Exactly. And then, uh, I, one last question. What, what, what kind of, what kind of beers are you working on in Northern Brewer right now? What, what are we going to see here in the soon future for, uh, available for a customer? Well, I have been working with a actually a freshly re- uh, released Omega strain, which I'm pretty excited about. It is a, uh, it is one of their new fancy ones that they did some some work on genetically. It's pretty awesome. I'm kegging that tomorrow, in fact. And I use that with the Cryopop, the new Cryo Blend. So I'm expecting some 
pretty, pretty awesome flavors off of that one. And also I have been working on a foreign extra stout. I, and you know that one I'm pretty happy about. Yeah, I, 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 I haven't had a foreign stout in a really long time. I feel like Excited it's one of, it's a, it. almost a lost style. It's it's got to it be is. resurged. It's got to come back. Yeah, I mean, there obviously uh, when you go to the Caribbean, you see a lot of the like foreign beers, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, like I always the, the bottles of Guinness that you get in uh in the caribbean always remind me of that foreign stout right it's that it's like that black almost kind of lagerish but it's a guinness and it's kind of weird and uh and that's usually where where i drank commercial examples of that but it's definitely you've got a it's not an easy beer to find here in the states no it's not no it's not so that was that was basically the impetus behind behind developing that recipe so i'm still working on it I don't uh, don't exactly know when it'll come out because I'm not going to release anything. I'm not perfectly happy with myself, but uh, it will it will be released at some point. Fret not. That's awesome. Well, hey, Brad, the guy with the coolest job in the world. I want to thank you for coming on my show and uh, and talking to us about some of the ways that you do uh, recipe formulation and. Uh, Obviously, if, if somebody wanted to maybe run a question by you, uh, what, what's the best way to reach you? Uh, you can, you can uh, email brewmaster at northernbrewer.com and uh, just say, the, hey, this is a question for Brad, and uh, they will forward it on to me, and I will do my best to satisfy your curiosities. That's awesome. Well, hey, thank you for coming on Homebrewing DIY, and uh, it, when you come to Denver, we're, we're definitely getting a beer. Oh, I no doubt, no doubt. Coulter, thanks so much for having me. Uh, great opportunity. Had a lot of fun. Uh, too bad we had to re-record, but whatever. We're still talking about beer. thank brad for taking the time to come on the show yeah like you said we had to do this show twice because i had a recording issue it was actually on his end and it was really nice of him to come back and get re-miked up with a new one and actually sounded a lot better so brad thank you so much and you can always find him over at northern brewer if you have any questions well that's it for this week and we'll talk to you next week on homebrewing DIY.